Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to the Business of You. Dan Purvis is our guest today on the Business of You. Dan is an inventor, and he also works with inventors to help them bring their ideas to the market. He has a passion for building things. His background is in automation, controls, and software, and he loves to work with people to help them see possibilities for what they can accomplish. Dan is a serial entrepreneur and he's the founder of six companies. His most recent company is called Valentium, where he is a profession, which is a professional engineering firm that specializes in the design and manufacturing of therapeutic and diagnostic active medical devices. Dan has 25 years of practical know-how in creating corporate environments that people actually want to work in and clients want to engage with. You're going to learn a lot from today's episode of The Business of You on how to really grow uh, a successful company and a thriving workforce. Enjoy. Dan, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on this morning. How's your day so far? Great, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Really, really fun to be here. Excited to engage with your audience. Let's start by actually sharing your backstory. You know, where did you grow up as a as a young boy? What did you study in college? What were some of your early interests and how did you get to where you are today? Sure, sure. So I, I was raised, my dad was Air Force and Airlines. So I, okay. I was raised all over the place, uh, largely in the Chicago area and the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And in junior high, my mom was a, was a math teacher for 25 years in a junior high. Uh, and so I, when you're raised by a junior high math teacher, being bad at math is not an option. And so uh, I was in the junior high she was teaching in and I, she would get there early. I would ride my bike to school and I figured out I could stop at the 7-Eleven and buy a couple of packs of Hubba Bubba back then. Oh, I remember And they that. were roughly 20. 25 cents a pack or so, and I could sell them for 25 cents a piece. And that's pretty nice markup. And I was like, man, this is great. And then my mom caught me and uh, I thought it was going to go very poorly for me because she caught me. Instead, she took me to Sam's Club and taught me about cheaper supply and bought me a case of Hubba Bubba. <laughs> and I was like, and right about then is I think when my my heart for business started to grow. I was super excited about just the idea of supply and demand and mm-hmm. the opportunity to provide value to people. And so uh, I went to Texas A&M, got an electrical engineering degree in freshman orientation. They said the average Aggie changes his major or her major 2.2 times. And I remember thinking right then, I am not changing my major. And I got to tell you, there were several times during that four and a half years, I went, why in the world did I make that promise to myself? But, you know, I did it. And now I like to say I'm an electrical engineer by training. 
uh, I'm not sure I would call myself an electrical engineer because my passion from from the get-go has always been people. And so uh, I had the opportunity then to to jump in uh, and and go to business school a, a little ways into my career. And it was the first time I ever went to school, Rachel, because I wanted to. It mm-hmm. wasn't just the next thing. It's because I wanted to go. And boy, it was amazing. At the end of that, had the opportunity to start a very small company on the side of my day job with my day job's approval. And so I started working four days a week at the day job and Fridays and nights and weekends at the at the startup. And a couple of years later, we sold that, uh, me and my partner, and I went, holy smokes, this is a real deal. You can you can see value from gum sales at the junior high level, but, yeah. but companies appreciate more than anything else I've ever seen because you have the ability as the one building what's appreciating and, uh, and, and turn it into something really real. And so it's been a lot of fun. I, I, I had the opportunity then to work for a consulting company out of New York. And my co-founder of this company and I were together there for about 14 years. And I had a mentor. He, he came to me and he said, why, why are you working for a company in New York instead of doing something for yourself? I was like, well, I've got four kids. <laughs> like they, <laughs> they like to eat. <laughs> and he goes, well, how about this? I'll give you half the money you need to start your company if you can find the other half. Wow. I said, okay. A mentor. Let me, let me make some, some calls. And in 48 hours, we were oversubscribed. It was wow. really cool. So we, we just had a lot of friends and family that said, if you and Tim are going to start something, we're in. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, they were. We, we returned them three times their money several years later, about six years later. And then Tim and I suddenly found ourselves owning nearly 100% of Valentium. And fast forward to the end of 2021, then we took some private equity money and sold 40% of the company to private equity, maintaining control, maintaining board control. So lots of things we could talk about that as far as just board makeup and how that works as well as you progress as an entrepreneur. Uh, But boy, it's been absolutely thrilling to, to build a culture from day one and, uh, and then to build a company around the med device industry, we design, develop, and then manufacture implantable neurostimulators and other devices, but predominantly implantable neurostimulators that change lives for a better world. That's what we're about. What's an example of an implantable neurostimulator? Man, there's all kinds of different things that we could think about. Uh, one of the companies that we work with is a company called Second Sight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Second Sight. Uh, senses light coming through glasses and then plays what it sees through the glasses on the optic nerve. And people who could not see, who were blind, mm-hmm. can see again. Mm-hmm. And it's not see with the crispness that you crispness that you and I can see, but is good enough to tell, is that my granddaughter or my daughter? Or where's mm-hmm. the handle on that car? Right. You know, so really, really remarkable things. Um, we're working... Uh, with Nia Therapeutics, which is a company that's working on memory and memory loss from PT from from traumatic brain, as well as some other memory loss situations, and that involves deep brain stimulation with mm. with rods deep into the brain to stimulate and sense. Really fascinating technology out of the University of Pennsylvania, and uh, so we work with founders all the time who have new tech, and then we mm-hmm. partner with those founders to to bring their tech to commercial life. I see. So Valentium's uh, role as a consulting company is finding kind of the small startup medical devices in this particular niche and then helping them 
go from where they are to a much larger company? So we were a contract design and development house that is now a contract design development and manufacturing house. And so not just the small guys, we'll deal with Medtronic and Abbott and Boston Scientific and all the big guys as well. Uh, It was predominantly design and development only for many years. Mm -hmm. And that's because stand desks and laptops are cheaper. And so uh, it doesn't take near as much cash to start a company if you're just going to hire people and give them a laptop and a stand desk. And so... Uh, but we over and over again, we would finish projects and our clients would say, great, well, now we want you to build it for us. And I'd say, yeah, no, can't do that. Wait, why not? We love you guys. Well, I don't have a factory. Well, why don't you have a factory? It was like factories cost a lot of money. <laughs> you know? yes, so um, we went through in those friends and family years, we went through a lot of growing up and maturity around cash management. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really important for your listeners to know that as they get more and more successful in their entrepreneurial cycle, just understand that that growth eats cash. That growth eats cash. The more you grow, the faster you grow, the less cash you'll have. And that seems counterintuitive, but if you buy something from me, then you order it, especially in business to business, you order it, we work on it, we deliver it, we invoice you. And some of these larger companies will then pay you in 90 days. It could be six months from when the order first comes in to when you finally get paid. Mm -hmm. And yet most of our workers, at least here in my neck of the woods, want to be paid every two weeks, right? So so all of the labor necessary and high-end professional labor, if you're in in the the professional world, You've got to you've got to pay those people for that entire six months. And so if you're growing really fast, you might have four or five, six of those projects all needing to be cash flowed until you finally see the cash roll up behind you. And so uh, just just understand that uh, growth eats cash. And as a result, uh, we didn't have any cash because we were growing like crazy available for a factory. And yet the the struggle with that is to grow a design and development house you always had to be out hunting more projects to drag back to the cave to feed all the engineers, right? And so uh, to grow the company means more and bigger projects. And like we, when we got our investment in due diligence, the private equity firm said, well, what happened to that client? Why'd they go away? What'd you do to offend them? Mm. I was like, well, we didn't offend them. We just finished, (laughs) you know, and that's the problem. You finish and then that revenue is gone until they have another project. But with manufacturing, Instead of a project, you can now finish the project, hand it into your manufacturing shop, and now you can have revenue for the life of the product oh, that you I just see. developed. That makes Suddenly sense. you have perpetual revenue that is resilient year after year and probably growing as that product becomes takes more hold in the marketplace that gives you a huge amount of stability. And so thinking as entrepreneurs, how do I get my business model into a place where there is perpetual repeatable revenue and I don't have to go out and re re go go through the whole sales effort again and again to keep revenue up. Yeah. No, makes a ton of sense. Is your manufacturing factory in the US? Yeah, we have it uh, uh we have a small facility so far uh just to the the east of our office building and then we're consolidating now to a 50,000 square foot office that will have all of our engineers and all of our manufacturing under one roof. And that's in Houston, Texas? Uh-huh. In Katy, just outside of Houston. Yep. Okay, great. Congratulations. That's a big move. 
It's a big move. It's been really fun to see it come together. But that's why we took the private equity money mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. so that we'd have the resources to build that factory. And there is a field of dreams type of thing within industry, specifically our industry of you kind of have to build it and show that you have in our industry an FDA level inspectable quality operation. Uh, when when our clients trust us to make their devices for them, they know and we know that there's a point in time where FDA will come to our shop and look around. Right. And if they don't like what they see, they put a lock on the door. And that means our client and us are in a world of hurt. Right. So our clients are putting their faith in our quality system and our ability to adhere to the Code of Federal, Federal Regulations that FDA audits to and to make sure that we're doing things in good manufacturing principles to to assure that it's going to be done right. Mm-hmm. And then that's great. We want it to be done right because ultimately the devices that we design, develop, and manufacture get installed with a scalpel, right? So right, um, right. if it's going to be inserted into your body, you kind of want it to work. And if it's supposed to last seven to 10 years on one battery, you don't want to have it replaced at four or five years because it takes a scalpel to replace it, right? right so right. Um, it's it's a great place to be in the regulated industry that we're in. But yeah, you've got to make sure that you're crossing your T's and dotting your I's for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You'd mentioned a little bit uh, a, a small part of a story before we hopped on and started recording uh, about something that your company did during COVID. Can you share that story? Yeah, so as as a company... Uh, March of 2020 was a very tenuous time, right? And so we have senior offsites four times a year. I would recommend highly to all of your entrepreneurs if they're not having offsites with their leadership team, you need to start doing that because getting away and looking at the forest is necessary. This particular offsite was very offsite in the sense that we were all on Zoom from our bedrooms and living rooms because everybody was being quarantined, et cetera. And and we were having a conversation about the PPP program, which is the government's way of helping people not get laid off in the midst of COVID. And I had an email we were drafting to the staff that essentially said, hey, we're going to hang in there with you. We're, we're trying not to lay anybody off. Not really sure what the future holds. We're all trying to do the best we can. And then we had a call with Ventec Life Systems, one of our clients. Uh, for five years, we've been working with them creating test systems to verify their ventilators on their manufacturing floor. It's one of the divisions of our company to build test systems. And so these test systems were all over their manufacturing floor, testing subsystems of ventilators and then final ventilators. And we called them and we said, hey, it seems like ventilators are the thing for this COVID deal. How are you doing? And and their leader was just like, man, I'm overwhelmed. I really don't have time to talk to you. But yes, it's so busy. It's so crazy. It's like, well, when do you talk? He said, every morning at 8 a.m. in a war room. I was like, well, can I be there? They're like, uh, yeah, but you're in Houston and we're in Seattle. I was like, we'll be there at 8 a.m. Somebody from our company will be there. And I came out from my bedroom office, told my wife, I was like, babe, I'm going to Seattle. And said, when? I said, in two hours. <laughs> And this is where the first deaths for COVID had just happened, seven miles south of their office. Nobody really knew what we were up against. It was mildly terrifying. We walked down the little lane that we live on and you could just hear the crunch, crunch of our feet. And I looked over, I said, babe, you know, I have to do this. Mm -hmm. And she knew it because at Valentia, we exist to change lives for a better world. We've said this for 10 years. Mm -hmm. We exist to change lives for a better world. And I tell prospective employees as well as employees all the time, Rachel. We exist to change lives for a better world. That starts with you and your family. 
This is a place where it's not okay to go to muffins with mom at the preschool or donuts with dad at the preschool. It's mandatory. You have to go. Go spend that time with your kiddo, then get back here and do your job. We love your family. And the reason we love your family is I've got now a 17, 16, 14, and 12-year-old. And their mama is my favorite person. Next week, Julie and I will be married 25 years. And I'm crazy about her. And so I'm crazy about family. And yet here we had this opportunity where I'm walking down the lane near our house saying, you know, I have to do this because the entire country just stepped between me and my family. And I could not have, Rachel, a time where it's your mom and my mom and they both have COVID, but there's only one ventilator left. Right. And if we can make a difference in that, we need to. So I flew out there. Three days later, General Motors showed up. And in partnership with the federal government and General Motors, the, the leaders from General Motors, all the way to Mary Barra, the CEO of the whole darn thing, they said, we want to take the 100 units a month you're making at Ventec Life Systems and turn it into 10,000 units a month Whoa. in the next in the next uh, essentially 28 days. And so, um, yeah, they, they just continued to push, continued to push. And it was, it was amazing the way that worked. And so um, throughout this process, over the next 28 days, we built over 140 test systems. And, and it was unbelievable. We doubled the size of the company in about a week. Hmm. And, and through that process, uh, just stepped in over and over and over again. Uh, we ended up writing a book about it, 28 Days to Save the World. And one of the things I say in that book is that you're going to have all-in moments that come across you in your career as an entrepreneur. And in those moments, it is absolutely critical that you step in and volunteer yourself. Why not me? Why not you? Mm-hmm. And and I'm telling you that why not you that why not me moment when it comes you got to not just dip your toe in the water you got a cannonball and we did uh, we got the largest order in the history of the company uh, from General Motors and mm-hmm. I turned it down I turned it down and everybody's like wait what you turned it down I was like yeah the delivery was two weeks there was no way I could deliver 162 test systems in two weeks and and so I'm talking to General Motors purchasing and they're like. Okay, well, what date do you want to put? I said, put this every day, seven days a week at the time of General Motors choosing with whoever they want to be in the room, Dan Purvis will brief them on exactly where we stand. Mm. And they said, but that's not a date. And I was like, you're right. It's not a date, but that's the best I could do. But what it did is it aligned us all. We were all on the same team pulling Mm. on the same rope. And as a result, we got that thing done. We shipped our first test system four days after we accepted the purchase order. And we continued to ship Day after day after day. What was the typical time frame before that? You said four days was the first. What what is it free? Four to six months. Oh my <laughs> like, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It was nuts. We had we had 120 people in what it was a company of about 48 working 16 hour days, seven days a week. And then I called several of my friends who were all at home watching office reruns because they're wondering what's going to happen with the world. Right. I was like, are you bored? They're like, I'm bored out of my mind. I was like, well, join our purchasing team. Here's my platinum <laughs> card from Amex. Use it, use it, use it. And we bought over $2 million worth of stuff in about five days. And But it was line by line by line for the different pieces of the test systems. And it was crazy, Rachel, because in this factory, for every manufacturing step, you get to a subsystem that then has a test step and it's necessary. You want to make sure this thing is right. right. It's going yeah. to save people's lives, right? Exactly. And so suddenly here's this little 
what used to be a 40-something person company building out half of the project from a functionality perspective, mm-hmm. not from a real estate or a people, but from a need you build and then you test. And I, I kid you not, there were times up there in Kokomo, Indiana, where I, I just asked myself the question, like, is this really happening? Did this really happen? Is this really happening? And then you turn on the news and there's Mike Pence, like in the Rose Garden, talking about the project, or there's Trump in front of the White House on the White House lawn showing a time lapse of the factory. And I'm like, no, this is really happening. <laughs> so we were on 60 Minutes and yeah, it, it was a really fun time to write uh, the story. Uh, we wrote 28 Days to Save the World to tell that story, but more importantly, to give entre- entrepreneurs like your listeners mm-hmm. a, a good, hard perspective of the culture work we have been doing for 10 years is what enabled that story. Yeah, yeah, so true. I can see that. What is it that you do to build culture from day one, say with a new employer, probably even before that, right? When you're vetting potential employees, interviewing them. How How is it, Dan, that you instill culture so deeply in your company? Love it. Yeah. So um, first of all, we were a principles heavy, rules light culture. Okay. Principles heavy, rules light. If there is a rule that's going to have a name on it, the Rachel rule, Mm-hmm. Rachel just has to go, right? So <laughs> it's like, we're not going to do that. And so getting getting to simple, and it's something we talk about a lot around the company. Simple isn't easy, but simple is worth it. And and people will say, well, how do I know when I've reached simple? Well, if you're asking me that question, you haven't. <laughs> you know, When you have reached sim- simple with something, you know you've reached simple. And so for us, we wanted to reach simple with our principles. And so at Valentium, we have four principles that govern all that we do. Our passion, which is to change lives for a better world. That's principle one. And then our three values, honorable, we do right for right's sake. Results plus plus, we do the job and then some. And humble charisma, Mm. humble charisma. We want to be the kind of people you want to be around. And so honorable, uh, we talk a lot in the company. Honorable means honorable to yourself as well as honorable to others. Yeah. which means there's candor that flows throughout our company. Our meetings are not boring. If you feel something in your gut and you're like, you're doing a little head tilt or the eyebrow raise, you have to speak up. And that means, yeah, we may we may squabble a little bit in the meetings, but that's what keeps meetings interesting. If we all agree, we don't need the meeting, right? And so um, honorable demands candor, but humble charisma demands that when you speak up, you do it with the right heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, at our company, everybody's a servant. Mm-hmm. And I tell new candidates, I'm like, you're coming to be a servant, but don't worry, me too. If I'm walking by the break room and the dishwasher ends its cycle, when I'm walking by, it just became my job as the founder and CEO to empty that dishwasher. Mm-hmm. And that same, the same thing is true for the youngest intern all the way to me, because those five minutes make a statement to all of your colleagues around you that this is not beneath me. Right. And it just happened to end when I was there. And so I'm going to unload it. It's five minutes. It is what it is. It may happen three or four times a year that it happens to end with you there. Right. So be it. <laughs> it is what it is. And so um, those four principles, the three values and changing lives for a better world become the principles that we hold everybody to. But I want people to understand. Uh, and it's easy to understand, right? Because it's simple. It's just four, four of them. They're easy okay. to remember. They don't conform with each other. And if you can defend your decision against those four values, we will have your back each and every time. And Mm -hmm. so when you say, how do you build culture? Know your principles. That'd be Mm -hmm. the first thing. Mm -hmm. And then the second is defend your principles. And so how do I defend my principles? 
Uh, like I said, when when there's an offender of principles, they have to be coached. They have to be, right? Uh, and I say coach over manage because I don't want to manage you're not following the principles. We will manage you right out the door if you don't right. follow our principles. But I am happy to coach you into the principles. Um, if it, you have, They have to be defended. If, if there's a culture violation, you have to speak to it. Or you're sending the message that that culture violation is tolerable. And it's not tolerable. And it doesn't mean you go around hammering people. It's like, right. hey, Rachel, I saw you do that. That's not how we work. At our company, we don't curse. And people go, no, just here at the water cooler. No, no, there's no clients around. No, um, we don't use the Lord's name in vain, which that means some people, they're like, well, what, that's not even a curse word. I was like, yeah, but it offends some of us. Yeah. And so there's just all these things that we just don't do. And I'm like, look, that doesn't mean you can't exclaim. Just be more creative. Be more right. creative. <laughs> and that way, you know what? We have a level of professionalism that I would say is right in there with honorable or it's humble, right? It's it's yeah. either humble charisma or honorable. Results plus plus. We, we ask deep penetrating questions. I talk, I talk to our clients when they hire us. I say, look, for the next two weeks to two months, you're going to hate me. And they're like, wait, what? I w- we just picked you. And I'm like, right, but we're going to ask so many questions yeah. that by the end of it, you're going to be exhausted and so will we. But you know what? You will know what you want and we will know what you want better than either of us know what you want right now, which will improve your, your ultimate product because we will just push and push and push until we have very clear understandings of exactly what you need. And so uh, that's that's the thing I would say is, is develop your principles mm-hmm. and then hold to those principles. It really is relatively simple, but simple isn't easy, but no. simple is worth it. Yeah. What's an example of how you would coach somebody who, who um, broke a principle? Say in, in with the language that you said, it's not allowed at your company. And I'm just curious because I think that's, little tricky to do with adults right to um i mean it's a consequence <laughs> right that you have to fulfill it's much like parenting yeah so uh, i i'm the parent of four kids right um so i get, get lots of lots of practice i try to parent and i try to lead at the company when there's like mild disciplinary things like that in the exact same way and it's like the football ref and what i mean by that is you never see a football ref being like Number 75, offsides again. If you go offsides one more time, I'm going to throw you out of this guy. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. You're like, offsides, 75 offense, right. five-yard penalty, still first down. I mean, game over. Right. And pick up the flag right. and do it again. And and so, like, I'm like, I'm like, hey, man, no, we don't talk like that. Oh, yeah, cool. And, and that's the end of it. That's the end of it. Just no harm, no foul. I'm not that frustrated. I'm just, I will call it out every time. Mm. If you again and again and again continue, then that's not, now we're into like a learning disability or just full on my way is better than your way. And I'm like, well, it may be, but that's not our way. And so you can have your way somewhere else, right? So right. Um, so I think quite honestly, it's in the little things, speak to them every time. Mm-hmm. And when they're spoken to you, accept that. Mm-hmm. I am not above correction. I have to be teachable as well. Uh, I'm a big fan of be teachable. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that, Rachel, is that if if you're teachable and I'm teachable, we both could be devoid of all other character, mm. complete animals, right? Right. But if right. we're teachable, there's hope. There's hope because you could always get better. And so, yeah, people come to me and like, 
golly, correction happens to me fairly regularly. It's like, you know, you said you'd be here at 930 and I had the whole team ready to meet with you here at 930 and you walked in at 944. Yeah. And I'm like, you're right. I was being disrespectful of you guys. I'm really sorry about that. I will work on it. You know, and so, um, and was it true that I had other meetings that went long? Yes. And was it true that there was some pretty important stuff going? Yes. Could I have let someone know? Could I have excused myself? Yes. Did I? No. Did I get corrected? Yes. You know, it's so, um, so model teachability and, and you know what? We're imperfect. We're human. It's fine. Uh, if we're growing and improving and there's that attitude of like, I mean, I tell my staff all the time, I say, we work so hard to find the absolute best and brightest, which means you guys are, you all are second to none. The men and women that work at our company are second to none. So if you screw up, just understand that everybody else would have too, because you're the best in the world. You know, it's so don't be ashamed to just say, hey, I screwed up. Right. Because right. where the real problems happen are when you screw up and then you start covering up. Cover up, that's that that's a problem, right? So yeah. now you're now we're flirting with our first principle of honorable or right. our first value of honorable. And there's a hierarchy of values. We're going to change the world first, then we're going to be honorable. And I, it, humble charisma is more forgivable than dishonor, right? right. So, um, yes, yeah, so I don't know if that helps, but it does. Uh, it does. Just to correct all the time in the small things. And if it's a big thing where it just continues over and over again, then we, we remove those people. Right, right. Just to switch gears a little bit, AI has certainly become a hot topic uh, the last year, two years. How do you, in such a people-first, people-centered company, use or not use AI in a manufacturing plant? What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I love it. So first of all, technology is going where technology is going. And I feel like people for years have said, oh, you can't trust that stuff. And that stuff could be the printing press or the internet Mm -hmm. or digital transactions or, you know, it just, and I, and I have always had a technology forward philosophy because Mm -hmm. it's going where it's going. So you can fight it and it will run right over the top of you. And the marketplace speaks, right? I mean, I love, love capitalism. It's just, Willing buyer, willing seller, no force, no fraud. I didn't force you to buy from me. I didn't lie to you. So if you want it and I'm willing to sell it, it is what it is. And in those transactions, the marketplace polices itself. So AI is a thing and it's a thing of the future. And it is it is the way things are going because you can get way more done. And just like other technological advances, you have to be really careful with it. It right. needs to be stewarded by moral humans. Right. And so uh, in that messiness and discrepancy is huge opportunity. And so as you have listeners that that have an ability to harness this power and and assure that it's being used for good, I think that there's great market opportunities. Um, We've used it recently in all kinds of different situations. You can you can go through the process of bidding a new neurostimulator, which we've done many, many times. And then. We asked Chad GPT about it, <laughs> you know, and so, right. um, and so, you know, how many hours do you think it would take to code this thing? And, you know, it's like in, then you say, well, but I also need to comply with this standard. And I also want to make sure that I go through three, four, three formative studies and one summative study. And you mm-hmm. start adding all these layers and that adds hours and grows hours. And next thing you know, you see what, 
the AI engine that's trolling the web has come up with? And you go, yeah. So right now for us, it, we use AI more as a sanity check as opposed to the leader. Mm -hmm. But there will be a time where maybe it's right alongside of us as thinking okay. in, on a certain task. And then there may be a time where it is the tool we use as the first step in the thinking. So, um, yeah. but yeah, it's, you have to be caref careful with it because not only does it have the potential to run amok, if you will, but it also, uh, you want to be careful that the instances of the AI engine you're using are private or you're going to end up publicizing your strategy to the world. And that may or may not be something you want to do. Well, especially in the line of work that you're in. Do you ever foresee using AI in your, ma in your manufacturing plant to uh, lower production costs? AI in the manufacturing plant. Uh, so the areas that you, I could foresee something like that would be like an inspection steps. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure how an AI would assemble something. Mm -hmm. Um, but once again, if you're trying to assemble something and you need, uh, a microscope that's focused to a certain area, mm -hmm. you could have AI figure out where that area is and get you to the next spot quickly or something mm -hmm. like that. You could have, uh, conveyors on the line that speed up and slow down dynamically based on how things are rolling. So, yeah, I think there are lots of opportunities, uh, We've been in the automation world for years okay. Uh, because we've done lots and lots of manufacturing test stands. And so if it's automatable, it's ultimately AI-able as well, right? It, which will make the automation smarter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some challenges that you see some of the companies that you're working with facing today? So one, one place we might spend some time in our talk is around funding. Mm -hmm. uh, like... I don't think you should be doing your entrepreneurial endeavor for the money. I think you should be doing it for the cause. However, the money is great and it really matters, right? So um, I, I like to say that when we interview clients or if we, and we say, what are you all about? Or I interview prospective employees and say, what are you all about? Or I asked you, what are you all about? Nobody has ever answered air. And yet in six minutes, we're both dead without it, right? And so, but in companies, you say, what's your company all about? And it's not uncommon to hear, well, maximizing return to the shareholders. And I'm like, well, right, that's the air of your company. And you absolutely need it. We are zealous for profit, but you need something greater than that for your real reason for having the company. But let's talk about cash and cash management and profitability. Uh, we had a period of time in our startup history where our cash management uh, was all driven by a spreadsheet with nine rows with nine credit cards. And it had the limit on the credit card. And then and there was another column that said the day that that credit card ended each month, which meant that one day plus that was the best day to buy on that particular credit card. And if you did it on the very next day, you could get 45 days of interest-free float. And across the nine cards, we had $375,000 of interest-free float for 45 days at different times around the, the, the month. And yet you better pay it off or it goes from 0% interest to 18% or whatever it was going to be, right? right? And so um, cash management can be absolutely terrifying because you could build an amazing organization that is doing amazing things, 
and you're right on the precipice of huge amounts of success. And then it's like, okay, well, you're going to make it. In fact, it's extremely successful. And success is right around that corner, about a half mile down the road. But here's the deal. I need you to hold your breath between now and that corner. And it's like, I can't go a half mile without breathing. You just failed, right? And it's like, even though you were that close, right? And so you can't run out of cash. You can't run out of cash. And so being unbelievably stingy with cash is huge. I came out of a movie with Julie and Mm -hmm. she said, hey, I don't want to hear about the finances of the company anymore. She was like, and then she started to get a little emotional and she goes, and please don't have us live under a bridge. (laughs) And, And because there's some dire moments as an entrepreneur and I looked at her, I said, we won't, babe. And uh, I think maybe she was thinking, because, you know, Valentium's going to do great. No, what I was thinking was, I could always mow lawns again. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but the, the fact is, if you have to, you have to, right? But uh, there were, I mean, later on in our history, I borrowed north of or tens of thousands of dollars from my father-in-law, from my wife's father, behind her back, at her request that it was behind her back. Mm-hmm. But that's terrifying when you owe when yes. you owe the people that you eat Thanksgiving with, and they're and your wife doesn't know about it, and you know it's just it yeah, is nutty. I which I guess I would say just the the cheapest money each and every time by far is your customers' money. Mm-hmm. Get something that you can actually sell as quickly as you possibly can, and even though it's not perfect, and a lot of founders are designers, inventors, engineers, etc. It's never going to be good enough for your comfort level. Get it out there. If you can't do that because of regulatory things like the FDA, then start with something that's not regulatorily controlled and do something simpler and get it out there because there's never going to be more candid feedback than a dissatisfied customer. So you get it out there. Maybe it does fail a little bit. They will scream at you and you will make it better, but you've got their money, which allows you, that's free money. It's money for product as opposed to money for equity or money for all kinds of covenants in debt where they will take you over if you miss them. So uh, watch that cash like a hawk. And then I think the other thing I would say um, to, to new entrepreneurs is hang on, hang on, don't let go. Like the, the spoils in, in business don't go to the most talented. The spoils in business don't go to the smartest. The spoils in business go to the most stubborn. The one who just says, I don't really care how bad it gets. I'm going to hang on. I had the opportunity to watch my niece in a state track and field meet Mm -hmm. uh, just yesterday. And man, I don't think there's anything more painful than track because you basically push your body to the very edge of your pain threshold and then go faster, right? And so, um, (laughs) and so, uh, I mean, I saw numerous athletes leave it all out on the track. Literally after their race, you know, right, you're like, whoa, right. that person was all in. But that's that's how it's got to be in business as well. You just have to say, you know what? I'm going to do this. I had a relative in the first three or four years of Valentium. And he said, hey, have you ever thought about looking for a job? Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, uh, don't ever say that oh, again. Right. No, no, I'm not. It, it's, it's like you burn the ships when you land on land. You burn mm-hmm. the bridge when you cross that bridge. There is no plan B. And to the extent that there is a plan B, you're not all in. And if you're not all in, you're not the stubborn one that's going to win. There's another entrepreneur in your marketplace that is all in. They will beat you. And so uh, be all in, hold on tight, and don't ever give up. And you will win because 
is if you're the one that refuses to give up, then it's inevitable at some point that you win. Yeah, I 100% agree with you, Dan. The, the being all in, no plan B. If you go in with a plan B, it's almost guaranteed failure, I think. So people should definitely buy your book, 28 Days to Save the World. There's great business advice in there. Um, I'm assuming not to mention a much deeper behind the scenes view of your work during 2020 with your company and the amazing, incredible scale that you went through. Yeah, a couple of things on the book, and maybe I could give you one more story from the book that's sure. kind of interesting. But but the book, the goal of the book was not to write just another culture book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was to write a culture implementation book. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are lots of books on how to create a culture, how to create your, your values and your vision and your mission. I wanted to write a book that trained entrepreneurs uh, through our story on how to keep that culture vibrant and not just a set of platitudes on your website or on your conference room wall. And so it's a, it's more of a practitioner's implementation of culture and main maintenance of culture book than it is a building a culture book. And one of the chapters in the back half of the book is think and how to create a thinking organization within your organ, within your organization. And And I say, please, please, please don't create an F-key culture. And that F-key culture is something I coined from a story where our two oldest boys were adopted from Kazakhstan Mm -hmm. as infants. And uh, so back in the mid-2000s, we had to create a dossier that went over to Kazakhstan as part of getting uh, the approval to adopt infants over in Kazakhstan. And one of the things in the dossier that we needed was just a letter on the bank's letterhead that said we had an account which I, I guess it was a thing, right? So, right. so I walk into bigbank.com and I'll leave their name silent to protect the guilty. And I said, you know, I didn't go to the tellers. I went to a desk. I said, yeah, I just need something on your letterhead that says I have an account here. And he goes, oh, oof, we don't have an F key for that. And I'm like, excuse me? Mm-hmm. He's like the 12 F keys. That's the 12 forms we can print in a branch. Uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, but like, I just, need a, I just need a letter that says I have an account. Right. He was like, I can't do that. And I'm like, now you're getting between me and my infant boy, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm starting to get a little huffy. And I was like, do you have this thing called Microsoft Word? Mm-hmm. And do you have this thing called the internet? Go to bigbank.com, get the logo, put it on Word and write me a three sentence letter that says I have an account here and okay. sign it. Oh yeah, no, who I... And we went round and round for the better part of 45 minutes and about an hour and a half later, I walked out with that letter uh-huh. And I was scolded by that bank employee and told what a favor they had done me. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. If I ever have a company, which I do now, we will have a thinking culture. Yes. Where, yes, we don't have an F key for that, which means, yes, it's against your policy or procedure. Or we didn't envision that procedure. So it's silent on it. Use the principles and make a decision. You decide. You decide. And the book talks about making sure that everyone in your company has the authority, mm-hmm. the ability, and the autonomy to make decisions. And those are my favorite two words. I use them all the time at the company. You decide. Mm-hmm. I'll see people walking down the hall to come to my desk and, and they'll come into my office and tell me a story. And they'll be like, so what do you think? I was like, you decide. Right. And they're like, oh, yeah, but what do you think? And then I'm quick to tell them, well, here's what I think. I think that you will make a great decision. <laughs> and so that's back to defend, right? I want a thinking culture, which means I'm not going to answer you 
I'm going to force you to make that decision because I want to train you to make that decision because you need to see that I will support that decision according to the principles. And the next time you won't even come down the hallway, you'll just decide, which is exactly what I want. Otherwise, scaling to the size that we want to be is going to require more and more and more hours from me. Right. And I want to go home to my family at night. Right. right? So, right. so yeah, so there's a chapter in there called Think. That's just another way that we would try to help your entrepreneurs and your listeners understand how to implement culture. Beautiful. No, the thinking culture is huge and absolutely necessary to, to grow a business because you're right. Otherwise, I'll pass lead back to you and there's only so many hours in the day. So I appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and your insight and kind of the some of the secrets to your success. I'm sure there's a lot more. Where's the best place for people to learn more about you, learn about your company and purchase your book? Yeah, so the book is 28 Days to Save the World. It's on Amazon or wherever your books are sold, right? <laughs> wherever you say that. You can also get it for Audible. So if you want to listen to it, I'm a big fan of listening to Audible. My kids make fun of me because I... I put it on 2X <laughs> and, <laughs> and people are like, how do you do that? I was like, well, it forces you to concentrate and I don't yeah. want my brain to get lazy. So, um, but then as far as connecting with our company, we're at Valentium.com. Uh, incidentally, Valentium is three words. It's V-E-L from velocity, E-N-T from momentum, the middle syllable in momentum, and I-U-M from ingenium, the last syllable in ingenium, which is Latin for talent. And I wanted something where speed and talent went together to form our name and the .com had to be available. And so um, Valentium.com, you'll find us. And then it's got our LinkedIn page as a company. You can find my LinkedIn as well. Would happy to be happy to connect with you, et cetera. Love to connect with the community. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. You bet. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to the Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.